Welcome to BSD Talk number 21. It's Wednesday, March 1st, 2006. Tonight we'll be speaking with Stephen Jones from the SDF Public Access Unix system. The audio got a little quirky in the middle thanks to my bandwidth, so I had to stitch some things together and pull some other things out in order to come up with some clean audio. Hopefully it will all make sense. So let's jump right to that interview. Tonight we're speaking with Stephen Jones, and he's with the SDF Public Access Unix system. And uh, thank you for coming on BSD Talk. And why don't I have you introduce yourself and a little bit about uh, SDF? Uh, my name's Stephen Jones, and I run the SDF Public Access Unix system. I'm the uh, co-founder and caretaker versus being a sysadmin. Um, I joined up in 89. The other founder is Ted Yulman, who started this system in 87 as a Apple II BBS. And uh, we were sort of centered around message boards for Japanese anime fans. We, we had all, um, all the users on the system were active in the local BBS community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we had come across a system called uh, Killer, or also known killer.dallas.tx.us, that was run by Charlie Boykin. And it was a public access Unix system. And the thing that we liked the most about it was that it had a a uh, non-restrictive interface, where it wasn't menu-driven like uh, most other BBSs that we were used to using. And... Um, we were running on ProDOS, and Ted wanted to make RBBS to be more more command line like, and so we kind of struggled with that for a bit, and we decided, well, we're we're going to try running Unix ourselves, and uh, in '89 we actually got a copy of a Unix clone called Coherent, and just around that time, System Five had been ported to the uh, 386. So we started playing around with that. And in 1990, actually February of 1990, Killer was shut down during um, Operation Sun Devil, which was some uh, raids that were conducted by the Secret Service, basically because of AT&T's E911 document that had leaked out and was actually reported to be on Killer. So when that happened, we decided that we would basically um, replace Killer. And we sort of ran into a lot of problems with uh, local Unix sysadmins who thought we were just, you know, a bunch of kids that were going to cause problems. So at first it was, it was pretty difficult. But after a while, the old Killer users started moving over to SDF. At that time, we, we didn't do much with Coherent. Ted, actually, if you go look in Google Groups, you can probably search out some stuff that Ted, his idea at um, Killer was Ixer at 
attctc.dallas.tx.us. If you go search around in there, you can find Ted asking about Minix and things like that. But what happened was we actually got a copy of System 5 Unix that was packaged by Kodak Interactive. And we had a 386 machine, and we started running System 5 right from then, that fall, basically, after Killer being shut down. So we had completely done away with the, the ProDOS, Apple II VBS. We had gotten up to, I guess, about 1,500 members uh, in the local area. We had four dial-in lines. Uh, we had not yet have an Internet connection. We were using uh, UUCP with a couple of local hubs, uh, one being at Southern Methodist University and another one being at Adaptech, and uh, as well as a couple other privately run hubs. And uh, we actually joined LoneStar.org in 1991, um, that domain being registered in 1989. And the number of hosts in LoneStar.org at the time that we joined well, we were told that there was about 500 hosts, which is quite a number of hosts, and it just ranged from uh, companies running Unix systems for mail and Usenet news to, you know, people running 3B2s or 3B1s at home. So basically, we, that's how we became a part of LoneStar.org, rather than registering our own domain name, which could have been very easy to do back then. In 1992, what happened was, actually, this was, one of Ted's ideas that he wanted from the beginning was when we were going to move to Unix and be public access that we were also going to have a sort of for-profit um, business plan, right? But I, I was pretty much against that. I, I was pretty idealistic about things at the time. I, I mean, I still am. I, I'm a little more sensible about it now, but I think back then I was just so anti-corporate that I, um, I I really wasn't interested in doing anything like that, and I wanted SDF to be completely free and completely unrestricted. And Ted wanted it unrestricted as well, but he also wanted to make some money. So in um, 1992, a handful of SDF users, and along with Ted, went off and formed Texas Metronet, which is uh, basically the first ISP and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It, it was basically up until um, 1997 that we were running on System 5 Unix completely. I was introduced to BSD through two people. There was uh, a guy named Charles Chang at, I don't know if you remember this, but the Superconducting Super Collider. Um, he basically gave me a copy of BSDI's 386 BSD in 93, Eric Schnobelin, who was running a UCP hub at FedSDF with a slip connection, uh, introduced me to um, BSD, which at that time I believe was at version 1.1. And um, he convinced me to, to run that on a separate machine as well. But I was still running SDF on System 5 Unix. And I, I kept running it up uh, on System 5 up until about 97. And at that time, you know, I had gone through using 386s and using AT&T 3B2 hardware, and by 97, basically the PC had caught caught up with the 3B2, or at least I've, I've felt as far as performance was concerned, and definitely reliability. 
So I started with the idea that I was going to migrate SDF to NetBSD. Uh, another option was Herd, and I really had not considered Linux because I really wasn't interested in Linux. I felt that um, it was sort of like if you look at SVR4, some people would call it a, a Simlink nightmare, and I sort of felt Linux was the same way, not quite BSD, not quite System 5, and I, I wanted to have a minimal system. Of course, Herd at the time was was nowhere near running. Uh, I still gave it a try. It, you know, there was just no way that it could run efficiently and, and reliably. NetBSD, I actually still run today on the same service, which is not wholly related to SDF, for uh, sevcom.com, which is the homepage for the Australian electronic group Severed Heads. Basically, in 93, I was tasked with setting up a mailing list server for them, as well as an FTP site, and then eventually their website. And that's actually run on NetBSD since 93. But the big challenge with SDF is that by the time in 97 when I was considering migrating, uh, we had about 15,000 users. And the way that um, NetBSD handled passwords was quite different from then in System 5, where NetBSD uses the Berkeley databases. The big problem I was having was really specifically with how the database was rebuilt and modified during the day because, you know, if you're your public access and you have lots of user accounts being created and deleted every day, you get quite a number of rebuilds. And with 15,000 users, it would take about uh, one minute to rebuild the password database. I was looking into PWMakeDB, and basically the hash info parameters were an area that could be tweaked. And I wasn't able to get it to perform as well as it should. Yeah, I think I reduced it to about 30 seconds build time, but that's still quite a bit of time, you know, for someone to, who just wants to change their password or change their, uh, you know, the GCO field or, or create a new account. So I decided that, well, I'm going to give Linux a try. I had some friends that were working at TI at the time that I remember having a conversation with one of them. He convinced me that, you know, monolithic kernels were not the way to go, that that every, all device drivers should be modular and or modules, and Linux was robust and everything. So for nearly two years, we ran uh, Linux on x86. And it, it was okay. It was, I sort of call it the dark age, because the, the problem is, Running the operating system that has the source code posted everywhere and on a you know well distributed platform like the x86 where exploits are being developed every week maybe every day, I was running into a lot of problems with just random malicious people that wanted to wanted to take out the system. It was really interesting because it's like a really really a uh, big turning point around or 96 or 97 that I started seeing more malicious people coming in versus before the users were, I don't know, a little more sincere about, you know, what they wanted to do. So in um, 2000, uh, I made the decision that I was going to not only change our, our architecture, but also that I was going to 
wholeheartedly give NetBSD a try. And the way I got around the problem that I had two years before was I basically put the password file on a MFS uh, memory file system, which sped up the creation of the, the Berkeley database by multitudes. So at that point, it was very quick. And a actually, it wasn't much longer after that that the, the NetBSD folks had optimized PWMakeDB. So um, the architecture that I chose was the DEC Alpha. One, because it was, you know, it's, it's kind of right now. I mean, it's, HP is still supporting it. They're still making and selling new alphas. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are convinced that it's, it's dead. So um, the price of alphas had dropped significantly, but they were still a, a very good machine. And it was very easy for me to, to get something for, you know, a couple of thousand bucks and replace what we had in, in 2000 and then run NetBSD on it. And we actually had a big party when we migrated from Linux to NetBSD on Alpha. And you can see that in our, actually, in our fact file. There's a little history there. And I think we still have a, um, a chat session from when we decommissioned the 386 and said good riddance. At that point, I was, I was only running two to three machines as part of SDF using NFS and basically um, kind of call it ancestral file sharing where you have multiple NFS servers that are dependent on each other for files. Uh, I've kind of moved away from that where I have a central file server and basically um, Discless clients that have their own local temp and um, swap on a, on a local disk, so they're not exactly diskless, but they rely on the NFS server for the majority of the system files and utilities. The way that I have have it now is that I can. Uh, we basically have a stack of blades. They're all uh, DS10, uh, DS10Ls, and uh, DS20s. Sorry, DS20Ls. Basically, um, one can be just pulled out and plugged into the, the rack, and then I, I go connect on its console and um, start the install process with, uh, you know, just using the lo local NFS. And I can get a system up and going in about 15 minutes, actually. It's pretty fast now. How many users do you have right now? We have 20,000 active users, and those users are... Activity is based on the last time they've logged in within the last three months, and we sort of we sort of purge accounts based on space. If we're running out of space, we'll go out and purge accounts. So that's why we're at at three months as being the inactivity period for purging. However, um, we do have like a lifetime a lifetime membership, and those those members aren't subject to being purged. And what services do you offer to the members? Well, we basically offer any service that our members want to vote on having. And that basically ranges from Gopher, Web, FTP, SSH, SSH tunneling, port forwarding, you know, utilities like Screen, Cron. We also do hosting for domains. Uh, I think right now we're uh, virtual hosting about 200 domains. We also do uh, DNS, primary and secondary 
and we've got that distributed uh, through three networks, so there's a bit of redundancy there. But it would be fun just to have Gopher. Uh, <laughs> who's got Gopher? Yeah, we've actually, oh my gosh, we we have incredible Gopher um, following, just lots of Gopher people, including the Flood Gap people. You know, when I was at VCF, um, they always come up to me and they're like, you're on SDF. Uh, our logs are full of SDF users querying our server. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of our users keep that, keep Gopher alive. We just try, you know, different different things that different people want. We have an, a national dial-up service, too. We're probably the only um, dial-up service provider that actually allows you to dial into a shell versus having to run a PPP session and, um, you know, then telnet in. And how do people become members, and what are the different membership levels that they can have? Well, there, there are basically three main membership levels. And the way that a user creates an account is, is very simple, and, you know, some people will call it old-fashioned. You basically telnet to sdf.lonestar.org and log in as new. And we've basically had that away, that way for 16 years now. The um, basic membership level is, is free. It does require uh, a uh, validation if you want to use some other utilities. The, the free account is Pretty much, you know, 20 megs for your home, 20 megs for your web page, 20 megs for mail, 20 megs for Gopher. And um, users have access to, you know, Pine, Elm, Mutt, and they can even use POP3 or IMAP if they want. And then uh, above the free membership is the um, uh, what we call ARPA membership. And the reason why we ARPA is because the software package that had Telnet and FTP and uh, NS lookup and some other utilities um, was called the ARPA utilities, so that's why we called that. We actually formed that membership in 1994 as a, a way to um, to bring in money to sustain the system, uh, pay for its bills and everything. So um, prior to that, it, our donations had been um, something that you know people just did on their own versus uh, actually paying dues or anything like that. And then uh, the next membership is called Meta ARPA, and that's basically uh, the uh, the top membership. Users have a little more trust, and they're they're allowed to run cron and do things like TCP port forwarding through SSH and and such. And they they actually get their own server too, so they don't have to deal with the the free users interfering with what they're doing. And you're a a nonprofit organization now, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. You know, that's something I probably should have started a long time ago, and I wanted to, but I um, I don't know. Um, I, I blame myself for being um, anti-establishment and anti-corporate, not wanting to do that. But, um, you know, basically that was formed in 2001. And uh, what versions of NetBSD? Are you up to 3.0 right now? We do have a, a test bed on a couple of CS20s uh, running 3.0. We are running 2.1 right now. All right. Uh, is there any other topics you want to talk about with SDF? We have an annual uh, music compilation that's actually, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be in our fourth compilation this year. And it basically features uh, artist members 
we have several musicians, several bands, and uh, that's really fun to do. Other things that we have are uh, we've got uh, some some older games. There's sort of been a resurgence in ASCII games. Some of the games that we've we've got over the years were source code that was posted to Usenet, and it's just stuff that we've been running, and you know it goes in and out of popularity, you know, with the users. But one of them is called uh, MDG, which is basically a multi-user rogue game um, or a net hack. And that's uh, actually currently being developed by its author after, I guess, a 15-year hiatus. So uh, we also have a our own move that's uh, based on the George Lucas movie THX 1138, and um, members contribute to that as well. So through our local bulletin board system, we have a request board, and users uh, request any package that they want installed. Most things get installed. Most things get updated. Um, there are certain things like having PHP 5 and um, MySQL 5 and things like that that we have to be very careful about, um, you know, migrating to and making sure everybody's happy because there there have been a couple of cases, and, and one of them specifically was uh, the Pine mail program. Um, there was a couple of versions where it was very buggy and uh, it would exit and things like that and, you know, delete your file accidentally and stuff like that. Do you think you'll ever move off of the 64-bit platform onto maybe one of the, you know, AMD 64 systems? Or are you pretty much uh, hooked on the alpha? Well, uh, considering that we have a stack of about 35 alphas, I, I don't see us moving off of it anytime soon. The architecture is obscure enough that we, you know, we really don't have any security concerns. And, you know, NetBSD is also obscure enough that that helps as well. And, and occasionally, you know, and there are going to be problems, I think that just the limited accessibility of NetBSD on alpha is going to, to help greatly. And, you know, the machines are, are still viable. They're, they're fast. They're reliable. A great thing about them is that they can be, the console can be managed remotely. Um, I can shut down a machine remotely. I can power it on. I can do everything I need to do. In fact, I haven't been to Dallas in over three years because I don't, I don't really need to go down there. But um, you know, it's it's reliable. We do we do have a couple of upgrade paths that we're working on right now. We have a two terabyte fiber channel disk array that we're testing out with uh, NetBSD 3.0. And um, finally, we've got a stable um, MP kernel with 2.1. There was a long time that MP was just, especially on the alpha, just was not reliable. So it, it's looking pretty good that we would, we're going to stay with NetBSD on alpha for several more years now. I guess there's a lot of large customers running OpenVMS. So as long as that's happening, DEC is going to be making parts for their alphas. Yeah, that that's right. That the, um, and that's how I see it too. I mean, HP has a SC class computer, right? Which is like you know, a big monster alpha, supposedly or theoretically, it can handle 512 processors. So, you know, it's this big, huge monster thing. And I'm just expecting, you know, in three years, I'm going to find one on somebody's curb. You know, <laughs> go plug it in and use it as SDF. All right. Well, I want to really thank you for taking the time to speak with us and. 
encourage everyone to go check out your service and uh, take part and donate and keep keep this thing going. It's been going for a long time, I guess. Yeah, actually, um, I mean, if you add in the BBS as well, years as well, um, we're going to be hitting uh, 20 years in pretty much on June 16th, 2007. So well, looking forward to that. That's, <laughs> that's, to do something special. That's a long perspective on the growth of the Internet. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us. Sure. If you'd like to leave comments on the website, that is bsdtalk.blogspot.com. Or if you'd like to send me an email, it's bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com.